0: have a confession to make. I thought I'd do this on Father's Day uh, just because it's just confession time. I I like to do it as a pastor, but uh, I have commitment issues. I'll just be honest with you. I have commitment issues. Anybody relate to your pastor with commitment issues? You struggle to commit with things, get in, get out of things. Anybody, anybody other than me and nobody's going to help their pastor out today? One. Okay, good. It's going to be me and you today, man. All right, so we I have commitment issues, you know. Even to the point where I buy things at the store, I, I, I honestly, I regret it. I have like a buyer's, they call it buyer's remorse. I, I, I feel like I committed to buying something and I didn't, I, sometimes I feel bad about buying. If I don't buy it, I, I have I have buyer's remorse on the other side. You know what I'm talking about? where Like I don't buy it, I feel like I should have said yes and um, I had commitment issues. One of my first things I realized that I had commitment issues was when I was a teenager. Now, the story I'm about to tell you guys, you guys got to give your pastor grace, okay? I'm no longer this person, but this was me when I was a teenager. And how me all know when you're a teenager, you just you just some kind of dumb. You know what I mean? You just is what it is. And so I met my wife uh, when I was 15 years old. I love her to death. She's an amazing woman of God. You guys have seen her. Um, she sits on the front row every week, listens to three messages that I preach. I mean, that's just a godly woman because I get tired of hearing me after one message. So uh, she's, she's, she's amazing. And when I first met her, uh, we were dating. And what I did, and this is not good, okay? I was the quintessential guy who would, I would date my, my wife, my then girlfriend, and I'd date her. And then if if the if another girl got into the mix, you know, that I, I thought I wanted to be with, what do you think I did? You know, I broke up with her, and then I would date. And I did it primarily with one of this girl inside of the—she was the pastor's daughter. And I thought I was supposed to marry the pastor's daughter because it's the pastor's daughter. And, it, you know, if you're going to be a Christian, marrying the pastor's daughter, that's about as good as it gets. I mean, you're basically going to get in heaven. And so um, I was going to marry the pastor's daughter, and I thought she was the one. And so anytime I would date my wife— the pastor's daughter would come around, and she would start giving me interest, and I'd be like, okay, so I'd break up with Erica, and I'd go date her. Take it easy, okay? Take it easy. It gets worse. So I, so I started dating her, and then I'd break up with her four or five times. Eventually, I broke up with her. Five, I think she broke up with me, ladies. You can say amen to that, you know? <laughs> Eventually, she got tired of me, and she put she kicked me to the curb. She moved her family and her moved to Seattle, where she's from, and I went back to San Jose, where I'm from. So I'm moving my family back to San Jose. So we're separate. So um, back then, there was no social media, and I didn't have her cell phone, but we were friends on, I don't know if you all remember this, AOL Instant Messenger. Do you all remember AOL Instant Messenger? Some of y'all teenagers are like, what? It, it was back when, like, you know, you've got mail. You know what I mean? Like, and uh, and, and we would... Message each other and, and I, I, I found her. So I'd know when she was online, I'd send her a message, she never responded. Well, guys, sometimes you just got to stick with it, right? You just got to stay at it. You know, you just keep, keep sending, you know, don't harass. That's not, I'm not advocating that. But I just kept sending her, hey, how you doing? Hey, how you doing? Eventually, she responded back, and we started a conversation, and she came down and visited, and I said, hey, will you be my girlfriend again? And she said, no, I won't do any long-distance dating, I only if I live here. I talked her into, get this, I talked her into moving down from Seattle to California. I'm like, this is awesome. She's going to come down. So she moved her whole life. She rearranged her life, moved down to California and San Jose, and she moved into my parents' house, and we were going to transition her into an apartment, you know, kind of get her in a little transition phase, and she comes down, first week she's here, first day we're in the living room and we're talking and we're talking and hanging out and I felt this spirit feeling come on me again. And I was like, you know, I don't know if this is the one I I should be with. And I wrestled with it for about, you know, five minutes. And I told her what I felt. I said, honey, you know, I really, you know, I like you, but I don't know if we should be together anymore. And she said, let me get this straight. I just moved here from Seattle to California to be with you, and on the first day, you're breaking up with me? And I said, you know, that sounds bad. It sounds bad, but yes. And she started crying, you know, because ladies, you know, that's a sad thing, right? Everybody say, oh, right, yeah. It, it gets worse. So, I, so, she, so she, I, said, I said, she started crying, and I'm like, I'm sorry, but, you know, that's how I feel. So I got up and I walked away. And I went to another room where my mother was. Now, my mother was sitting reading a book. She's a godly woman, loves the Lord. And, uh, and I said, hey, mom, how's it going? She goes, oh, I'm good. How are you? I said, I'm good. And she goes, what's wrong? You know, how mom, y'all moms, y'all have like a, like, a, like a sense, you know? Y'all know. And I was like, you know, I feel like maybe I, I feel bad, but I feel like it's the right thing. She goes, what's the right thing? I said, well, uh. I just broke up with Erica. I'll, she, she put her book, she closed her book and she looked down. I never seen my mom look at me like this. Or I don't remember her looking at me. I'm sure she did that when I was little and I was like a little kid screaming in the, you know, the, the grocery store. And you'd be like, shh. She looked at me, she goes, I know, she goes, get in that room. I don't care if you don't feel it make it right that girl and she you know she didn't move her lips <laughs> y'all know what i'm talking about when you get so mad yeah. parents y'all know when you're looking at your kid and you could not be more dis you love them but you hate them at the same time you know what i mean you're like you're not my child and she's like get there and fix it and i was like oh oh okay and i went in and i s- talked to my wife, and I was like, I, I was just kidding, never mind, you know, like, I was never, we'll fix it, we'll make it right, I'm like, just, she was like a fire, I was just trying to put her out, you know, I'm like, I'm sorry, everything's okay, and, and I don't even know why I told you that story, so don't get mad at me, but I have commitment issues, yes, um, and, and I, I've noticed that God cares about commitment, he cares about you being committed to things, and, and, and we use commitment in the language of giving our lives to Jesus. Cause we say things as pastors, we say things like commit your life to Christ. And we say, and that's a big word. Life is a big word. Like I think when you ask someone to commit your life to God, like that's a okay. I can commit like a Sunday every eight weeks ish, but my life, like that's a big deal. And I, the more I read the Bible, the more I'm, he cl- clarifies what life really looks like when it comes to commitment. And Proverbs chapter 16 reveals a uniquely situated life thing that you probably wouldn't get. It's not intuitive if you didn't read it in the Bible. And I think this is why Solomon put it in there. So I'm going to read it to you. It's in Proverbs chapter 16. He says to commit something really important. He says this, he says, commit your work. Everybody say Work. Now, this is interesting because he doesn't say commit your life. He doesn't say commit, you know, your kids. Don't commit your marriage. I mean, don't, I mean, the Bible talks about stuff like that. But Solomon, the wisest man in the world says commit your work to the Lord for your, your plans will be established. He says you, you and I in, in life are going to work. And when you work, you need to commit that work to him. And I was thinking about that. I was like, God, why would you say that? That seems odd to me. Out of all the things you could ask Solomon, of all the things you could admonish us to commit to, why would it be work? I had some stats I wanted to read to you. I think it could be this. It says that we will spend 150,000 hours on average working in our lifetime. About 40% of our waking hours are in work. Moms, you're 100% working hours. Are, uh, we get that. 1973, the average American worker worked 40.6 hours a week. 1987, 46.8 hours a week. Today, the average professional works 52.2 hours a week. Business people a little elevated with 57.3 with entrepreneurs basically having no off days. You'll spend more time working, commuting to work, thinking about work than eating, drinking, relaxing on the weekends, playing on vacations combined. You and I need to understand how work fits into our lives as unto God. It makes a big deal. Because you're gonna spend a good chunk of your life with it. And 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 we have to see work right. I always kind of talk to people about work whenever they talk about work in a negative fashion, because like some of us would be like, man, I gotta go to my job again. Thanks, Adam and Eve. Like sin. Thanks a lot, st- stupid job, my dumb boss, the know-nothing. Thanks a lot, sin. But like that's not true. Like The Bible was clear that work was around before sin entered into the world. Work is a divine idea. It's a godly idea. God knew you and I would need work. I think sometimes we think like, well, heaven's going to be a place where we just be chilling on the clouds and eating our favorite foods without any calories, which I do think that's going to happen somewhat. (laughs) It's my belief. I can't prove it in the Bible, but that's how I believe. But if you look at the Bible, I could make an argument that there will be work in heaven. Because it's designed to actually help us. Yeah. So here's a thought. I thought in the time I have left, I'm going to give you four ways. Four ways to commit your work to God. Because I just believe. I believe. If God asks us to do that, the first question that comes up is, how do I do? Okay, pastor, you've convinced me. Works are good. I don't believe you for my life. But I, in general, I think that could be true. How would I do that if I, for my friend? I'm asking for a friend. What are four ways to commit your work to God? Number one is this. um, You start with seeking God's direction. I I think prayer and planning are a must when you're talking about your work and your profession. We're talking about how do I commit our work to God? Well, you've got to start with God with prayer and planning. I like what Proverbs says in 15, chapter 15, verse 29. It says, the Lord is far from the wicked, but he hears the prayer of the righteous, that there's, there's the righteous people. They pray about things. They ask God about things. And then, and then it works with planning, which is in Proverbs chapter 21, verse 5, which says, the plans of the diligent lead to profit, surely haste leads to poverty, that some do one or the other, but oftentimes we miss out on doing both. And what's funny about Christians is they'll do silly things like, um, I, don't have, I don't work because I'm praying about it. And I look at him like, homie, go get a job. Pray about it, but do something. And then some people, they, 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 they pray about it, but they don't plan. So they pray a lot, but they don't plan, they don't like carve out where they should go and how they should go and they don't have some type of a strategy of where they're trying to get to. And the funny thing about plans is that if you don't invite God in on the front side of it, we treat them like a lifeguard because once those things go down the tube, then you're like, God, help us. I thought you were in this and you're, God thinks, sometimes looked at us and goes, why, you never invited me. I didn't know there was a party. And they're designed to work together. Prayer. Everybody say prayer. prayer. And planning. Somebody say Planning. Like they work together and the famous saying is you plan your work and then you work your, your plan. I like what Proverbs chapter 13 says. As a wise man thinks ahead. A fool doesn't and then he brags about it. See everybody on social media. Yeah. <laughs> he thinks about it. He looks ahead. And when you look at, here's what's cool. When you look ahead, you start asking weird questions about your life. People who don't think ahead don't ask questions because they're like, oh, I'm just going to do it and then hopefully it'll work out. And what's funny about it is sometimes it does work out and then that verifies and validates your bad planning. But I always tell people a dead clock is right twice a day. Just because it happened to work out doesn't mean that it should have worked out and that it will work out again. We're talking about wisdom. If you don't want to have wisdom in your life, this series means nothing to you. But if you want wisdom, you got to have prayer, prayer, got to have some planning. Good question to ask yourself as you're thinking ahead. You know, this is good. I hear people, okay, here's what I want to do. God, where do I want to be in five years? Where, 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 where do I want to be in five years? That's a decent question because you're asking yourself and planning something. But a better question, when you ask your question, you start looking ahead. It's God, God, where do, where do you want me to be? Where do you want me to be? Not where do I want to be? Anybody can ask that, like, where do I want to be in five years? No, God, where, God, where do you want me to be in five years, in 10 years, in 20 years, in 30 years. God, where where are you in this thing? I want to make sure you're a part of this so that you're not coming in on the back end trying to fix all of my mess. And wise people insert God into everything, almost annoyingly so. They, They say stuff like, God, where does God, does God want me to take that job? Does God want me to sign that deal? Does God want me to move to that city? Does God want me to take that promotion? Does God want me to, to partner with that person? Does God want me to be in that industry? When you start with God, you work with God, and then it's then it's your thoughts. Then it's your feelings. Then it's what you think, because oftentimes we, what we do is we fall into the Christian trap, which is we do something, and then we ask God to bless it. Anybody else? You now you just, you do what felt right. They offered you more money. You said yes without even talking to your wife. Without recognizing, it's the, it's the age-old story. You didn't use wisdom. And instead of asking God to bless it on the back end, you start with God. God, should I do this? Should I do? The people I respect the most are the people who are slow and methodical, Because they bring God into it. They're like, "Mm, I don't know. i got to wait for God. I'm waiting on God a little bit. Not to be lazy. To be wise. So you've got to have a little bit of, okay, I'm waiting. I'm going to seek God's direction. Number two, sharpen skills. This is good. This is your ability. So we're talking about how do you commit your work to God. So first you seek God's direction, but then you sharpen your skills. This is your developing your talents and your abilities. And the truth is, is that it takes more than hard work just to be successful. There are a lot of hard people that do very little in life. Did you know that? And so, like, parts of it is true. It's like the early bird gets the worm. But if you're not working smarter and harder, you're missing out on an aspect of wisdom that could be helpful to you in your life. Solomon, who wrote most of the Proverbs, he authored part of another book called Ecclesiastes. and He wrote this. He thought this was interesting. He said, "If the if the Axe is dull and its edge is unsharpened, more strength is needed. He says, Yeah, you're gonna to have to swing it harder. You have to work harder. I said, but he, he says something else. He says, but skill, everybody say skill. He said, skill will bring success. That you, you and I, you and I are 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 almost admonished by Solomon that that one of the most honoring things that we can do with what God has given to us, which is our skills and our abilities and your talents, is to develop it. Some of the laziest people I know are the most talented people I know. And you would think that'd be different, but it's not. Because they're so good at doing what they're doing that they don't develop what they're doing, which brings an amount of laziness and apathy into their life. And they are who they are, but they're not who they could be. And if you are in a position at work... In your job, in your home, in your family, in your business, you should have something in your life that's constantly developing you, not just spiritually. I'm talking you about your actual hands. I'm talking about if you own a business, do you do anything to develop yourself to make that business better? If you're at a job, do you do anything to develop yourself to make that job and that business better? It's a godly thing. You can see this all throughout the Bible. Joseph developed himself into the prime minister of Egypt. David was a shepherd boy taking care of God's sheep before he took care of God's people. He had to learn what he was doing. He had to develop. He developed into a king. He wasn't given it. Come on. He was developing on the backside of a mountain before he was in the palace. And you don't do that without developing. Daniel, the Bible goes on to say that he had an excellent spirit. Come on, y'all. Like there's something in all of us that leaders are learners and they develop. How do you sharpen your skills? Number one, one way is to trial and error. This is the harder way. This is the, maybe the more unwise way. In fact, Proverbs says plans fail at the lack of counsel. The problem with learning trial and error is that life is too short for you to learn all of your, all of your lessons, doing it and then failing and then trying something else. The Bible gives you a different way. It says, "Actually, learn from others." This is the where you bring other people's mistakes, trials, and errors, other people's wisdom into your life. Proverbs says it, but with many advisors, they succeed. So it's you you grabbing and bringing in and sharpening your skills with books, with advice, with um, TED talks, with sermons, with conferences, with um, you know articles. With I don't care how you learn it, but you're just learning it so you can get better at what God gave you. Because you you and I are designed to steward well with what He gave us ask yourself this question today am i more valuable to my company today than i was yesterday am i more valuable and what i learned and what i did and what i developed today than i was yesterday and if you can figure that out you start sharpening that skill you get better. Number three is you share the profit. First you seek God's direction, you sharpen your skills, then you share the profit. This is honoring God with the work that you've been given. The trap in all of our lives, can I just give it to you? Something to look out for. The trap of every successful person is to believe that they did it themselves. It's so easy to think when I won In the job, in the workplace, when I got that promotion, when I got that raise, when I did good on that project, when I made a successful business deal, when I did well at life, when I got money in the bank account, when my wife is happy with me, when my husband is happy with me, when my kids are doing what they should do, they got their good grades, when my health is right, when my neighbors are just the right people, they just moved right in, when I I I bought the house at just the right time. And it's all, isn't it easy to get up on the platform of every social media world and be like, look how good... I am, as you be taking a selfie, highlighting how good you are, forgetting the God who did all that for you, because you didn't see the battles he was fighting for you. You didn't see the devils he was fighting for you. You didn't see the time where he kept that person from doing that. You didn't see the time where he protected your car when you were driving down the street, and if you would have hit that person, that would have hit another person. It would change your life forever. You didn't see that time when he protected your wife, when he he helped her spirit, and he was there for her when you weren't there for her. You didn't see that time when he was protecting your husband, when he was about to make a decision, and, and then the Holy Spirit came in, and he quickened his spirit, and he said, don't do that. You're a better, you're a man of God. You actually shouldn't do that. You need to get back home to your wife. You don't remember when he, he walked into your, your boss's office before you walked in your boss's office and he gave him an idea about giving you that thought that project that promotion you weren't there when he kept that disease that was about to jump up in your spirit and your body and you were going to be sick for not one month but years you weren't there when he walked and talked to your parents and he was like we didn't pick any of that stuff so you and I don't get to take credit because we don't see all the times that God fights for us and so and so because we don't see, we don't notice, we take the credit or the blame. I was at a main event uh, this last week. We were doing a Rise Family Night for the summer. We're doing one a month. We did one this last Monday at Main Event and we had just all our spiritual family show up. We all just played video games with everybody in the church and we just it was a good time. Uh, spoiler alert, the next one's in July. We're all going to a missions uh, baseball game. It's going to be amazing. It's a $2 day, Tuesday. It's like $2 everything. It's going to be awesome. So it's just, you're going to show up. Trust me, you won't be there. But we were there at Main Event and uh, somebody asked me, what like, "What's God have to do with all that? I was like, well, God's fun. So we had fun. And so... um <laughs> And so uh, you know, churchy religious people are silly sometimes. I like making them mad. But anyway, uh, we were there, and my son, my little son Winston, he's five. He likes the video game where you get on the motorcycle. Y'all know what I'm talking about, it's a motorcycle, and then you you lean to do the 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 game. So he gets up on this motorcycle. I said, son, you can't reach the bottom. You can't play this game. Dad, I got it. I'm like, okay attitude of your mama <laughs> do it then go on, get it. go ahead do it expeditious whatever i slide the card and he he gets on the motorcycle starts up and he it starts going and he goes and the bike doesn't move he's like 20 pounds his feet don't touch the ground and he goes and the bike is running straight into the wall the whole time you know and he's getting and I was like you want me to help you no I don't want to help I'm like all right and he he just just trying to pull it over so I'm a good dad I grabbed the back of the motorcycle as he's so he turns left and I push to left he looks he notices he noticed right away he looked back and he hit my hand I'll do it," I said. "Okay, I'm just trying to like, I'm just trying to help, Winston. I'm just trying to help. <sighs> okay, keeps running into this wall, running this wall. So I figured out how to do it. So I put my foot on the back of the motorcycle, and when he goes, I go. I was like, and I just gave him a little bit of, and he started leaning, and then he goes, and I get a little bit. Of, like that. And he looked back. He kept looking back. I said, my hand's are right here. My hand's are right here. And he's like looking back. And I'm like pushing it. And he gets, Plays the game. Wins the race. Turns around. I kid you not. Turns around. Hands up. <laughs> I won! I was like, dude, you did so good. I'm like, that's amazing, man. I got him. Give me some love. I give him a high five. He walked off. He was just, you know, he's like yeah he's like pointed all the kids I'm like that you don't know any of those kids you know and I wonder if if I wonder if in life we're a little like that with God you don't see all the times that that God's got his foot right in the back of your life and when you leaned and you thought you were leaning on your own weight and your own strength and you were leaning. Everybody just, come on. Well, everybody look at me. Everybody look at me. And I want you to lean this way on the count of three. One, two, three. We're going to lean back. Yeah, there you go. Lean. When you lean... You thought you were leaning on your own weight. You thought you were doing it. You thought, you thought it was just you race running your own race. You thought it was the only thing that you could do. You thought all you did, you said, look, all I did, Dad. Look how good I won. Look at the race. Look at the power I got. Look at the anointing I got. Look at the strength I got. Look at all the places I won. I really don't need you, God. And God's wondering, yeah, but you didn't realize I had, my, I had my, my presence in your life the whole time. And the whole time I was watching you, I was taking care of you. The whole time you were leaning, the whole time you were trying to lean on your own. And you, you the Bible says lean not on your own understanding. So like when you lean, I helped you lean and you won that race because of me. Yeah. And here's the funny thing. The result, when we recognize God's favor in our lives, the natural result of a grateful heart is generosity. When you're great, when you're entitled, you hold on to everything because it's yours and you earned it. But when you recognize, man, God, mm, God was there the whole time. He sustained my marriage. He sustained my kids. He sustained my health. He sustained my finances. You can't help but walk around looking for ways to be generous. Proverbs chapter 9, 3 verse 9 says, honor the Lord with your wealth and the first fruits of your crops. Then your barns will be filled with overflowing. Solomon didn't give because he had. He had because he was given to. He remembered the moment he had nothing and he asked God for something and he said, God, if you just give me a little bit of wisdom, I'll promise to honor you with everything you give me he remembers that he doesn't give because he has he has because he was given and you got to learn to share the profit. years ago a young man began a small cheese business in Chicago he failed miserably and was deep in debt he's about to close a friend told him you didn't commit your business to God you haven't worked with his help ever the young man said okay well if God wants to run this cheese business then he can do it I'll work for him and with him, and I'll share with the prophets. And from that moment on, God became the senior financial partner in his business as he began to give back to God. From the moment on, it prospered, became the largest cheese company in the world. The young man's name was J.L. Kraft, the founder of the Kraft Cheese Company the founder of Colgate, William Colgate, the founder of Quaker Oats Corporation, Henry Crowell, the Procter & Gamble Corporation, William Proctor, the founder of Holiday Inn's, Wallace Johnson, Welch's Grape Juice Corporation, Robert Welch, Standard Oil Company, the founder, John D. Rockefeller, all of them were known and widely recognized as giving and being a steady, committed tither to their local church. They honored God with the prophets. They shared in on what they worked for and with when it came to God. And the side note that you need to know about this is it'll be hard every single time. It never gets easy. Like, when is it going to be easy to give to God? Answer, never. I like what David said. I will not give to God that which cost me nothing. Last one is this, and I'm done, and we get to eat some hot dogs and pull pork. You got to stay with it. I'm talking about how to honor, how to commit your work to God you yeah, stay with it gotta yeah, persevere through all times. I like what the Bible says. It says, Proverbs chapter 13, a sluggard's appetite is never filled, but the desires of the diligent are fully satisfied. Proverbs chapter 12, diligent hands will rule. Proverbs chapter 21, the plans of the diligent lead to profit. Our greatest strength at times is outshowing and outlasting people. Some of our greatest ability is availability. And the most, uh, most people give up when it's hard. Successful people don't know how to do that. They just are committed. like, I'm, I'm about it. I'm about, I'm in this. I'm in this. I'm in this. I'm in this. It's hard. I'm in this. It didn't go my way. I'm in this. I didn't see that coming. I'm in this. It didn't, they didn't listen to me. They didn't put me where I thought I should be. I'm in this. You, you have to be committed. They did a survey of, of, of senior executives at, at the top five fortune, 500 billion dollar companies. These are the survey. They asked them how long that they were there on average. The average time worked for that company was 17 years. 24% of them had to never worked for another company. We're talking about a low percentage of people who decide in their heart that they are going to be committed to what they're doing. I'm going to be diligent. I'm not going to give up. I'm in this because I'm in this. Your job, your boss, spoiler alert, will give you every reason to give up without fail. They're really good at it. They will make you want to quit. I tell our staff all the time, I'm not the best leader. I'm the leader because I got here first. I'm not the smartest person here. I will probably give you a reason to question whether or not you want to be in ministry. I'm a human. But if you'll just commit, and you just hang on, and you just kind of get the devil out of your head for one minute who wants you to quit at everything, and you just persevere, there's blessing on the other side of it. And the only way you can do that is you've got to have some good motivators. One motivator is the external motivator. That's the money. That's the title. That's the accolades. That's the, you know, you're just doing it to look flashy and to find another, give you another reason to post on Insta. There's, there's a second motivator, which is the internal motivator, which I think is better. It's the, I want to be somebody for me. I want to either prove somebody right or I'm trying to prove somebody wrong. But the problem with that is, is that the somebodies that you're trying to prove wrong or right probably don't care as much as you think they do. And whenever you do something to prove them right, they never give you the credit for it. That's a dirty little secret that they never tell you. Or the last motivator, which I think is maybe the best. It's not the internal. It's not the external. It's the eternal. It's that I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God. Colossians chapter three. Whatever you do, work with it with all your heart. Work is working unto the Lord, not for human masters, since you know that you receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward. It is the Lord Christ you're serving. I don't care if your boss is a psycho. That's what Colossians was saying. He's a human. She's a human. She doesn't get it. She doesn't see everything. Good thing you're not working for them, Christians. Good thing you don't represent just them in that business, Christians. Good thing you have a bigger motivator, which is an eternal motivator, saying, I'm doing this for God. I'm doing this for God, because God sees me. He's my provider, not you. He's my provider. And as I work unto him, I'm blessed. My prayer for you today is that you use some wisdom at your work. Let's pray. Father, we love you, God. Today, I pray that everything I've said, Lord, would sit deep in the hearts of the people. I pray it would take root and that it would ultimately bring about great blessing into each and every person who applies your wisdom to their life in the workplace.